I'm the administrative pastor for Neighborhood Church uh, Sebring, Lakeland, and Ocala, so I get the incredible honor to be with you guys this morning. Uh, last week was Pastor Ben's like anniversary week, so he, uh, he was out of the pulpit. I was preaching in Sebring, and he, he gave me the sermon on lust in Matthew 5. And so Pastor Michael and Jesse's anniversary is today, and he gave me the sermon on divorce. It's like they got out of town and said, here, Matt, you, you, take, you take this for you. We'll, we'll give you the heavy hitters so we can get out of town. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad that they had the opportunity uh, to do so. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue in our series uh, was Jesus really serious? And this is on divorce. So as we have been making our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you know, asking the question, was Jesus really serious? I, I hope that everyone uh, has been tracking okay. And, and pray that, um, that each one of us has been able to gain some, uh, maybe some takeaways uh, to that will help in our journey as we follow Jesus. So at uh, Neighborhood Church, our mission is to not only invite our neighbors to meet Jesus, but we want to encourage each other to move from just meeting him to following him as well. So this morning, we do have the incredible opportunity to settle in on the topic that sometimes can feel uncomfortable. And oftentimes it's glossed over because, you know, we think that people perhaps are going to get offended by what's going to be preached on the, that topic of divorce and what Jesus said about it. And I prefaced last week's sermon with this, so I figured I, I should probably say it this morning here as well. I think it's appropriate. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. I don't know. I don't, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know many of your history, Right? I'm not here to give a guilt trip if maybe you've gone through divorce yourself. I'm here to simply address what God's word says about divorce. And I am hopeful that when we leave from here this morning that we're encouraged by what Jesus said that day on that mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. But before we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer and feel free to uh, pray along with me the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to throw out two key points for us this morning, and I'm fairly sure that Pastor Michael uh, addressed both of these in last week's sermon on lust, but the first one is our character counts more than our contributions. Our character counts more than our contributions. And the second one is Jesus has always been the solution to our problem. <laughs> that is a resounding amen. All right, so divorce. 
Was Jesus really serious when he said in Matthew 5, starting in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I'll say that when Jesus is referencing uh, divorce here, it's not exactly the same kind of divorce that we're typically used to in the 21st century. Uh, Jesus was referencing the, the law found in Deuteronomy 24, which says in verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife? Then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you will not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. Does that sound like the, like the divorce that we're used to? That's a, that seems to be a little bit more uh, in-depth of some nature of divorce that we're, uh, we're not used to, right? To further clarify in the law given in Deuteronomy, if the, if the husband gave his wife a certificate of divorce for, say, not being able to bear a child, then when or if she were ever to remarry, the new husband couldn't give her a divorce or a certificate of divorce for not being able to bear a child. Or if she kept burning dinner, right? Um, we're we're going to give her a certificate of divorce for burning dinner. Well, the new husband, if she burns the dinner, can't give her a certificate of divorce for that, Right? It's, it, it, all of this is to follow, whether you're in Matthew chapter 5 or Deuteronomy uh, chapter 24 that Moses wrote, that the point of giving the certificate of divorce was to help protect the wife uh, as, as, as we would, uh, man, my notes are, have you ever, uh, have you ever uh, counted on uh, technology and it doesn't, doesn't uh, keep up with you? <laughs> So the point, the, the point of giving the certificate of divorce was to help protect the wife. As we learned last week on the topic of lust in Matthew chapter 5, women are not objects to be played with and tossed aside when we're through with them. They're to be treasured and respected. They're to be loved and cared for. Does God make an allowance for divorce? I say no. Malachi 2.16 uh, in the New American Standard Bible says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Does God give parameters for divorce? Because he knows his creation more intimately than we know ourselves. 
And because we live in a broken, fallen world where we make choices that better serve ourselves than our Creator, I'd say a resounding yes. Does He set parameters for it? Does He give us those? Yeah, He gives us some parameters. God has never wanted to see a marriage fall apart and end in divorce. He has never wanted to see that. Whether in the time of of Moses or in 2022... And he says, if you find yourself going through a divorce, here are some principal guidelines that keep you from compounding the problem. First and foremost, don't make a bad situation worse. All right, so let's, let's pick apart the, the passage and, and learn something. And, and maybe, oh, I really, I prayerfully hope that by the end that we're encouraged by what God has to say about this in this heavy, heavy topic. If you can't see, I'm sweating. I appreciate this fan up here, though. Carlos, you're the man. <laughs> it says, thou shalt not commit no, no. How, how, did, how, did G, how did we jump from a couple of weeks ago from thou shalt not murder, right? And then last week, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery to whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Mark 6, in the gospel of Mark, gives us some, some insight as to why, but the, the short answer uh, is this, the topic of divorce was in the front, on, the, on the front page of, a, of the newspaper. Do, do newspapers exist anymore? I don't even know. For the kids, those are those pieces of paper. I read the paper as like comic strips, like that's the only thing I cared about. So here's the abridged version of why he was addressing this issue. So this is, this is, a, this is the only education part of it. Okay? This is a history lesson. All right? So Philip, one of Herod the Great's son, had a wife named Herodias. And then Antipas, Philip's brother, swings by one day and lets his lust issue get the better of him. And he wanted to marry his brother's wife. But Antipas, Antipas also had a wife. So what did Antipas have to do in order to marry Herodias? Write her a certificate of divorce, right? Antipas marries Herodias, his brother's wife, which further compounded the problem because he not only divorced his wife, but then violated another law which states, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife wife. So there's this guy that we know, we've heard of, John the Baptist, right, preached truth, and he spoke out about how the, the actions of old Antipas uh, was in violation of the law, which then led to Johnny being locked up because Herodias didn't like John saying what you're doing is bad, it's a violation of the law. Have you ever heard a story about the government making decisions to keep somebody quiet? <laughs> right? That's, that's what this is, but a little bit more drama. So one day, Antipas throws himself a huge birthday party, invites 
everybody around that has any kind of importance. You ready for the blended family drama? All right. Philip and Herodias, is, all right, Philip, which is Antipas' brother, Philip and Herodias had a child, right? Had a stepdaughter. At this party, the stepdaughter was dancing, and Antipas wanted to uh, encourage her and give her whatever she wanted. He said he was willing to give up to half of the kingdom to her for her dancing. So she goes to mom, you know, Herodias, who doesn't like, uh, he doesn't like, who doesn't like John the Baptist. And she says, mommy, what should I ask for for this gift? What does she ask for? A head on a platter. And that's what John the Baptist gets. Uh, do you think that escalated a little quickly? Like, there's, there's one thing shutting a guy up. There's another one cutting his head off for speaking truth. And here's an issue that Antipas had. He loved to listen to John the Baptist preach. It, It says it left him greatly perplexed and heard him gladly, Mark 6 says. The reason we find the recollection that's found in Mark 6 is because sometime after the murder and execution of John the Baptist, Jesus comes on scene and he's preaching and he's doing all these miracles and all of these healings. And because of the guilt that Antipas was having, thought that Jesus was John the Baptist coming back to haunt him, to torment him. Church, listen. Don't be that person who listens to truth but doesn't allow the truth to transform our choices. Herod listened, but it didn't change his choices. He thought it was interesting, but it didn't change his choices. His lust problem turned into a divorce problem, then turned into a remarriage problem, then turned into a what murder problem. Do you see how our sin can compound? Our choices can just start stacking on top of each other, burdening us even more. It's why God gave parameters for divorce. And I believe that it's why Jesus gives parameters for a lot of things. And parameters aren't meant to be a a killjoy. They're meant to protect you from yourself and from hurting others. So we get to segue into verse 32. Let's read it again. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let's tackle the result before we tackle that exception. The result of a man issuing the certificate of divorce led him to being the cause of her having to be remarried. Okay, If the husband didn't give her a certificate of divorce, 
the wife didn't have to then go and be remarried. She would have already been married, right? And it says, having to remarry, which led to her and her new husband committing, what does it say? Committing adultery, right? If she were to remarry. The woman's husband, the first one, wasn't off the hook for any of his wife's future choices to remarry. So this sinful act that that Jesus says that it is of adultery, the sinful act of adultery for the divorced woman and her future husband wasn't just on them. It was on the first husband who shared the guilt of those decisions as well. Seem heavy? Is it fair? Yeah. Why, Why is it fair? Because God doesn't do anything outside the confines of fair. He's not just the author and creator of justice. He is justice. Justice with a capital J. What's the point? Go back to those key points that I shared in the very beginning. Our character counts more than our contributions. And Jesus has always been the solution to our problem. Here's the setup to all the sermons that are, that are in this series. So flip over, if you have your Bibles, flip over to verse 17 of chapter 5. Here's the setup. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them, right? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's not just murder that puts us on the hook for sin. What does it say? It can be as simple as calling your brother a fool. It's not just adultery that puts us on the hook for sin. It can simply be Someone looking at another person with lustful intent. And there's not a way to divorce your spouse in a way that doesn't not only cause you to sin, but can continue to cause others to sin as well. The point is, you can't escape the fact that we are all in desperate need of a Savior. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it says. And the wages of that sin is what? Death. But, but, because of Jesus coming to fulfill the law that he says in verse 17, by sacrificing himself on a cross, we can accept that free gift, it says, of God that is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you're a believer in the room, that's, a, that's an amen, right? So how can I place a high regard on my character over my contributions? Pastor Ryan has, uh, has been saying this to young bucks for years on the topic of choosing a wife. We've all, if, if you know Ryan, you've, you've probably even heard him say it. I know you two have heard him say it. On the topic of choosing a wife, what does he say? You you just get one. Like that should be the intention. You get one. And if you choose wisely, you you get the perfect one. Thanks for being awesome, babe. 
And there's a, a handful of things that Jesus was really serious about. And one of them just so happens to be our sexuality. This is, this is a bumper sticker. Uh, God is pro-sex. But he doesn't want us to be flippant about it. God is pro-marriage, but he doesn't want us to be flippant about that as well. So let's tackle the exception that's found in verse 32. It says, except on the ground of sexual immorality. Pornia, if you want to go all Greek <laughs> this morning. The Greek root of the word sexual immorality is pornia. Does that, does that sound like a familiar uh, word that's in the English language? Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here's Jesus being all serious again. He says, all right, husbands, the only way that you can be off the hook for your wife's future choices to remarry, which results in adultery, is if she is caught in the act of some sexual immorality. What's our takeaway on that? Let me try to put feet on this. We, we read a passage like this that was written to a group of people in a specific period of time, uh, so it wasn't to us, but it, the entirety of God's word from Genesis to Revelation was for us, right? It's not to us, but it's for us. So number one, as a believer in the 21st century, husbands and wives, make sure you take measures to keep from falling into the trap that the world sets. And it's not always just the world. Far too often, we are the, we're the ones setting the traps for ourselves. Husbands or future husbands, your wife is always worth fighting for. For the God of the universe, who created everything, has entrusted you to be the protective headship for his creation. If that's not humbling, the God of the universe gave you the, this awesome opportunity and entrusts you with your wife to be the protective headship. Have you ever thought, man, you might have made a bad choice to entrust me with this creation? So with that, don't take it for granted, husbands. Take the job seriously. Wives or future wives, your husband is always worth fighting for. The God of the universe has entrusted him to be, to, to, to be a protective headship for you. Listen, God is perfect. Your husband's not. God knows everything. He might think that he knows everything, but your husband does not. That's why God gave you so much more patience and grace than your husband will ever have. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5. It's a familiar passage starting in verse 22. 
It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of, of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What's the next verse? Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. See the, you see how God gives you the equation? Husband, take your relationship with Jesus seriously. Husband, love your wife. If you're taking your relationship with Jesus seriously, then she'll take her relationship with you seriously. And if the model is the husband and wife are respecting one another, and they're both respecting this relationship with God, Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That's what's being modeled for them, right? This is, this is stuff that we go over in premarital counseling or marriage counseling. Get those relationships in check because the children, if it's modeled in front of them, will have that respect. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you spend your time and energy working on loving Jesus, loving each other, submitting to one another, and respecting one another, it should keep you occupied enough to not be distracted and drawn in to any type of pornea or sexual immorality. I want to set the record straight because I, I know that I have been guilty of saying this kind of statistic. And a lot of pastors have. There's this study out from Barna that says that 50% of marriages outside the church and inside the church end in divorce. I read an article recently that Pastor Ben, who's the pastor in Sebring, shared with me that sort of debunks that statistic. And I was encouraged by it. Long story short, the statistic in the country isn't probably anywhere near that 50%. And it's staggeringly low when the husband and the wife are part of a local church and regularly attending worship services. And here's why I believe that to be true. Regularly being reminded that there is a God in heaven who loves us deeply, so deeply that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does verse 17 say? 
John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hearing those kind of truths time and time again throughout our week, being challenged and convicted by God's word and God's people, being equipped to serve one another instead of serving ourselves, consuming all of these things, participating in all these things will drive us to be the person that your husband or your wife desires to be with. I'm going to close with an excerpt from the conclusion of that article that I referenced that Pastor Ben gave me this week. It was written by a guy called Shanti Feldhahn. He wrote this. Imagine the difference for pastors to know that they can stand on stage and tell their congregations with confidence that going to church matters for your marriage. Imagine the difference to be able to tell a struggling couple, most people get through this and you can too. Imagine equipping the average young person with the ability to counter the cynical statements of his college professor, why bother getting married comments of friends who are living together with the solid truth that actually most marriages last a lifetime and are happy. Those of us who work with marriages may secretly wonder whether there is a reason for our ministry if the news about divorce rate is better than we think. And the answer is a resounding yes. Because I have seen in the research what every marriage counselor knows intimately, divorce isn't the greatest threat to marriage. Discouragement is. I thought that was profound. What marriages need today is hope. And of all people, we in the body of Christ should be the most ready to offer hope. Not just for our spiritual life, but for our marriages. And now we can. I love that. That there is hope. That going to church matters for your marriage. Our character counts more than our contributions. And Jesus has always been the solution to our problem. All of us, I can probably say this, all of us in this room or listening online have been affected by some way by divorce. There's been a a lot of pain inflicted on so many people. And if you've been through a divorce, I, I know that you've gone through pain. What I am not saying is this, that there's never grounds for divorce. God hates divorce because it breaks the original intention of that covenant between the husband and wife with God. Divorce was never the intended outcome of a marriage. And I believe for all the married folks listening to this would agree that that day when you stood before God and angels, right, declaring your love for each other and devoting your lives to one another and saying those two words, I do. You believed wholeheartedly the intention that day was to be a forever covenant. I know I did. This is what I am saying. Whatever marriage that you are currently in, whether it's your first marriage or fifth, it's worth fighting for. 
Live your marriage by the truths found in Ephesians 5. If you're engaging in any kind of sexual immorality, may the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit lead to a surrender. And if you're going through some stuff, take it before the Lord. He knows and He cares about your struggles. Don't be embarrassed or or hesitate to to ask Pastor Michael or ask me, ask, ask somebody to help navigate those marriage issues with you. Because you know what? You know what we've all been through? Some stuff. As a body, your burdens are our burdens. So let's cast our burdens on Jesus who loves and cares for us. Heavy? That can be heavy. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we... um, get to be challenged by what you say about divorce. Lord, I pray that we have this understanding, that we we take away this understanding that you are well aware of what we've gone through, what we're going through. The point is that we don't get lost in our sin because you have always been the solution to that sin problem. That it is fair, that it is just, that divorce is not right. But you are the solution. Sometimes it can be helped, sometimes it can't. And Lord, I just, I pray that Anyone that has been affected by it lays it at your feet. (laughs) That we understand that we're not lost in our sin, that you understand that we needed a Savior. Lord, I pray that we can encourage each other, that we can take heed that coming and being a part of a, of a body of Christ matters, not only in my marriage, but in all relationships. I'm a better person at work because of what you do here. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity just to come together to worship you. And Lord, hear our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.